turn now to our scripture readings. We have two this morning. Please pray for me as I make my way through this Romans passage. It's a tricky one. Hear now the word of the Lord. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I who do do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that the good does not dwell within me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do the good lies close at hand, but not the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched person that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our second passage comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew in the 11th chapter, beginning at the 16th verse. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, but you revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to be by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the word just read point to the word to come, and may it all work together to point to the word made flesh your Son, our Lord Jesus. Amen. We are, all of us, yoked to something. In the early 1930s, there was a troubled young man, an orphan named Tom, who was enrolled at Cambridge. But he found himself spending a lot more time drinking and engaging in casual encounters and shirking his academic responsibility than studying. He frequently found himself in trouble with the law, and he fathered a child out of wedlock who he never met. His benefactor effectively cut him off. The young man was being guided through life by all the wrong teachers. 
being pursuing a life of pleasure and committing at all costs to not developing any real, true relationships. It's only when he hit rock bottom that Tom, who we know as Trappist monk, poet, and author Thomas Merton, it's only when Tom hit bottom that he wandered into a church and devoted himself to the study of the Christian faith. It was only after he reached the end of his own resources that Merton surrendered and took on the yoke of Christ. He wrote this about his departure from England and his embarkation on a new life. I was not sure where I was going, and I could not see what I would do when I got to New York. But you, you saw further and clearer than I, and when I thought there was no God and no love and no mercy, you were leading me all the while into the midst of his love and his mercy. We are, all of us, yoked to something. Merton was yoked to one kind of life, and he was burdened by those choices. It became clear that it was only leading him into loneliness, sadness, and ruin. And so with fear and trembling, he humbly, humbly chose a different yoke, the yoke of Christ. I did a little reading about yokes. You may already know a lot about yokes. For those of you who don't know, here is what I learned. Yokes are generally carved out of wood. Perhaps Jesus himself made beautiful yokes. They're placed on the neck of an animal to help guide that animal in the work that they do. And they're tailor-made, specific to each animal, carefully sanded so they don't chafe or cause injury. And the Greek word for easy, as in my yoke is easy, can also be translated as well-fitting. My yoke is well-fitting, made just for you. But here's the most wonderful thing I learned. These yokes are used in training inexperienced animals. And as such, yokes are commonly made for two animals, an inexperienced animal yoked alongside a more experienced animal. So when Jesus offers us a yoke, it's a yoke he's offering to wear alongside of us. And bound in this way, Jesus can lead and guide us in how to live in the way that God intended. So we can live not out of the sin and inadequacy the Apostle Paul reminds us we can't escape, but out of our possibilities. So we can know God with the intimacy and the passion of an infant so we can lay down our burdens, which we were never meant to carry on our own, so we can know rest. But our scripture reading in Matthew today, before this good news, before this offer of relief and rest, it's preceded by Jesus expressing frustration, real frustration, at a generation that's gotten so carried away with their own knowledge, their own groupthink, that they failed to see what is right before them. They have yoked themselves to academia, to politics, to greed and power and fear, and they've convinced themselves that they know what they need to know. Perhaps they've convinced themselves that they don't need a yoke at all. Jesus' words to the crowd are a warning about the limits of human capacity and the dangers of certainty. The crowds, their dismissal of the teachers, John and Jesus, who've been trying desperately to reach them, it's left them ignorant of what matters most. And they're divided. They are an angry and a judgmental people. 
And Jesus can see that there are tired people. They're weary. They've wandered off course all the while thinking they know exactly where they're going. I don't know about you, but this sounds awfully familiar to me. Not so unlike our own time. Anger, judgment, fatigue. We are all yoked to something, and some of our yokes have left us feeling weary. In a post-pandemic study, three out of five Americans said they were more tired than they had ever been. Many said they felt unfocused or disjointed. And this cultural fatigue, it exists alongside this overriding sense of certainty, where almost everything is thought to be political, as if politics is the only lens through which we can understand people or issues. And many people have arrived at a place of such certainty that there's just no room for questions or curiosity. Like the crowds to whom Jesus spoke, we can be blinded by our certainty. We can be so sure that we're right that we give up on relationship. We can be so sure we're right that we can start to think that we, with our own limited resources, we know the way to go. And we can fail to see that the only way out of our anger and our fatigue is to release our need for self-centered certainty and to instead turn toward Jesus, toward one another, to remain in relationship, to listen, to listen, and to seek good teachers. Because a good teacher can make all the difference. I imagine all of you know this to be true. A good teacher can make all the difference. When I was in fifth grade, I had a teacher named Mrs. Walton. I actually found her on Facebook. This redeems Facebook for me. I found Mrs. Walton on Facebook. It was very exciting. And I went on and on. I gushed to her. Just what an impact. When I was, how old was I? Ten years old. She made a huge impact on my life. And one of the things she taught us, among other things, was the history of the Native American people. And her, her teaching, it changed and it enriched my understanding of American history. It made me compassionate and more aware of this suffering of these people who found themselves on the losing side of human power. It challenged me to think differently about history. I went from knowing sort of the history of Western settlers and Lewis and Clark to knowing the same period of history from a completely different perspective. I'm a better person for having sat in Mrs. Walton's classroom. She disrupted what I thought I already knew. As we get older, I think it's harder to allow for such disruption. We ask ourselves less and less, what if I'm wrong? We are more and more reluctant to say, I don't really know. I don't know. There's a fear, I think, that drives the need for certainty. Like somehow knowing the answers to life's persistent questions will protect us from pain and loneliness, that certainty can keep us safe, that certainty makes us a person of value, that certainty can create real belonging. And thanks to the Enlightenment, we've inherited this optimism about the human capacity for self-improvement. I guess an, uh, an optimism about the human capacity for certainty. This optimism is so dangerous because it suggests that we can work or learn or power of positive thinking our way out of sin. That we don't need to be yoked to Christ at all. We can manage life all on our own. 
And it's an easy idea to subscribe to in a culture that seems less and less curious, in a culture that seems to have little tolerance for nuance. As we get older and our teachers are no longer in the classroom, it's easy to pick a news channel and a circle of friends and a social media feed that work together to confirm what we've already decided is true. And it can make us awfully sure we know an awful lot. Certainty can make us forget that we are, all of us, every day making a decision to be yoked to something, to some ideology, some guiding principle. And there are just so, so many people and institutions that are right there willing to teach and to guide us. And we can reach the point where we have enough validation that we think we're right and others are wrong. We are good and others are bad. We become preoccupied with the sin we perceive in others and less aware of it in ourselves. Our reading today from Romans has the Apostle Paul offering the important reminder that we cannot escape the sin that dwells in each and every one of us. That even when we seek to do what is good and right, even when we think we know what is true and right, it's still impacted by the sin that dwells within us. And this sin can lead us to being yoked to all the wrong things, all the wrong teachers. I think a great gift of the Christian faith is this realization that we are all sinners. And that as Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, nothing we despise in other men is inherently absent in ourselves. In this service... Every Sunday before we are assured of forgiveness by a loving and merciful God, we confess our sin. Every Sunday we're reminded that we cannot escape the sin that dwells within us. And in our assurance of forgiveness week after week, we're also reminded that the only answer to Paul's question about the pernicious nature of sin, the only way to avoid spending our whole lives learning from the wrong teachers, is Jesus. To turn to Jesus, who promises that through him we can know God and we can know rest. Paul writes, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And the answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we can find rescue. We are not and cannot be self-made. I know I tried. In my 20s, I was hustler. I hustled. I worked hard. I got good grades. I tried to make sure I had all the right answers. And I built an echo chamber of people and resources around me to support that certainty. And none of it, none of it had any real value. None of it had any real permanence. And it left me seeking. Thank goodness it's what led me to the church. It left me weary. If the problem is certainty, if one of the principal causes of our fatigue as a people is our isolating, divisive certainty, perhaps the solution is that we need to humble ourselves to be like infants open and learning. To let go of certainty is to allow for humility. And humility is required for us to take on the yoke that Jesus offers. And when we take on this yoke, we no longer labor alone. We were never meant to carry our burdens alone. If we take on this yoke, we labor alongside Jesus, 
passionately committed to seeing God's kingdom realized, growing in compassion, growing in curiosity about other people and other points of view, growing in our desire to understand more than our limited individual minds could possibly hold. If we take on this yoke, if we allow Jesus to teach us which way to go, we can know something of real value, of real permanence. Through Jesus, we can know something of God and of God's love. It's the kind of knowledge that makes true peace possible, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, this yoke is not passivity. It's not rest like a week at the beach. That sounds really nice, but that's not the kind of rest I think Jesus is offering us here. It's the rest that only can be found when we're living lives of purpose, living lives devoted to loving God and loving neighbor. Taking on the yoke of Christ is a daily discipline. It's not a one and done thing. It's not I make a decision for Christ, decisions made. We have to decide every day. It's deciding every day who are we going to allow to teach us. To turn away from teachers who tell us that we and the people who think like us have got it all figured out. And as such, we don't need anyone or anything else. Not other perspectives, not one another, not even the challenging and life-giving word of God. Taking on this yoke means being honest with ourselves really honest about the other yokes we wear. And it means daily laying them down in favor of what Jesus offers. It means making community, this community, worship and prayer and reading the Bible, the first things we put on our calendar, not the last. It means being more curious and less certain. It means having the humility to ask, what if I'm wrong? It, amount, it means allowing Jesus to disrupt our thinking and our lives. Our Lord Jesus invites us, implores us to lay down our self-righteous certainty and to come alongside him, to be yoked to him so he can lead us. Each day we can humble ourselves and take on this yoke and offer a prayer like this prayer written by Thomas Merton. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you, and I hope to have that desire in all I'm doing. I hope that I'll never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. A good teacher can make all the difference, and our teacher is offering us a better way. Here, in humble surrender to the yoke Christ offers, we can at last find rest.